This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. The Mariners get up off the mat in Houston after being clobbered on, wailed on, Beaten around for Friday and Saturday. The Mariners get up off the mat. They wait seven innings before scoring a run in the eighth, a run in the ninth, and then four runs in the 11th to win that game and continue what is, look, there's no, all the road trips are crucial at this point, but this one with three games in Houston followed by two games against Oakland specifically because the A's are one of the teams that you're chasing right now and bump, the Mariners are at the exact same spot where they started the weekend Three games back in the wild card chase, and given what happened Friday and Saturday, that's really good news. Great news, great news. I will take it to stay relevant, keep us interested. At this point, the last few years, we've kind of turned them off and focused on preseason. The preseason isn't giving us what we'd like to see, so now we can lean in on these Mariners. Um, it's fun, man. It's fun to watch. It's fun to watch guys perform in clutch situations. Um, if you've been an athlete at any level, you realize the situation you're in. Base is loaded, and I need, to, I need to get all three out. Bottom of or top of the ninth, if, if we don't score in this inning, the game's over. I mean, you you recognize those situations, and to come through in those moments does nothing but elevate the confidence of yourself and your team. That's what we saw this week. We talked about resilience for this Mariners team specifically and the ability to, whether it's put a bad day behind them, to come back, I think that was their 28th different comeback victory of this season. Are there teams that take on that personality that there's just nothing you can do to put them away, that they just don't break? That you can keep wailing on them and clobbering on them, but there are some teams that find ways back better than others? Yeah, if if you have that success early. If, if you don't, then you get in those moments, you're like, here we go. Here we go again. You know, We're, we're not going to be able to do it, but and and I think being young helps too, because you're not jaded by the game too much yet, right? It hasn't it hasn't just just killed your ambition and and your belief that you can get yourself out of anything. So we have a young team that's had success in these situations early. So now they're just they're just going with it. They, they don't even flinch. Like yeah, we've been here before. All right, guys, we know what we got to do. Let's just go out and get it done. That that's such an interesting thing because Pete Carroll, look, Pete is comfortable with his team playing close games, right? And it's not that any coach is like, oh my gosh, I don't want my team in close games because I think they're... But Pete, the way he coaches, like I think most games, if you told him at the start, is like, hey, if you're within a a field goal start of the fourth quarter, how do you feel? He's like, that's exactly where I want to be. I'm totally totally fine with that, with our quarterback and the way we go. And, And he believes that sort of performance in the clutch... So to speak, it comes down to being experienced and knowing that you don't need to do too much. Not feeling like, okay, now it's the fourth quarter. I've got to play the best football that I've ever played before. This is really where it is. This is when it really counts. His his perspective is no, the guys that, that do the best in those situations are the ones that say, okay, I've been in this situation before. I'm comfortable. I know that I can execute. I just need to play how I usually play. I need to play my usual game right now. That that's that's usually the the prototypes. And for the Mariners, it's 
it's almost like the lack of experience yeah. in some regards is a bit of a help. Uh, the, the lack of feeling like other Mariner fans feel when they lose, oh, 12 to 3 on Friday and 15 to 1 on Saturday. And, oh, here we go. Same old thing again. That the Mariners don't. These players don't have that experience. They don't have that sort of, oh, here we go again feeling. It's like, okay, well, we're going to hang in there and do what we've done the entire year, which is even even when it looks tough or even when it's fairly bleak, we're going to claw our way out of that. Yeah, that, that's that's why I love young players. Sometimes you don't because they're going to make young mistakes. But you like young players because they haven't been in this pressure cooker that many times. So they're still optimistic. They're still like, oh, well, we need three runs, four runs. Okay, we can do that. We've done that before. We can produce. And you have a mix of young guys with some veterans who are playing well also. And I think that is what helps. You have uh, Seager, Hanniger guys who have kind of been leading the charge. But then you have these young guys who are, like I said, optimistic, eager, and really think that they have a chance. At the beginning of the season, we're talking about 2022. All right, just get through this year, 2022, we're going to go. But these young guys are like, no, nah, we're trying to win this year. Why wait till 2022? I'm in the show now. I want to I want to be a component of helping this team trying to change the course of the organization. So it's, it's fun, man. It's, it's a great mix of young and old. They're producing extra innings of 12 and 4. Excuse me. Yeah, 12 and 4. Uh, what, 28-29 come from behind wins. Resilient. That's the only way you can describe this team. That idea, their record in in, in, in extra innings is ridiculous. Crazy. Like 12-4. and four, Like, that's that's not how baseball is supposed to work. <laughs> and, and honestly, well, let's get you caught up on a little bit of news, and we'll get back to what, what might, what logically could explain that other than just having a horseshoe in their backside uh, for being 12-4 and four in extra innings games. A couple pieces of news. The first one is that Geno Atkins, defensive tackle, longtime defensive tackle from the Cincinnati Bengals, is reportedly visiting the Seahawks today. So that's something to keep an eye on. Also, Ben Burkirvan, um, this was a report from Ian Rappaport that he does, in fact, have a season-ending knee injury. He did suffer a torn knee ligament. Uh, John Ursua, the wide receiver, had also indicated he suffered uh, a season-ending knee injury. Those are two huge bummers. Most... Mostly for those guys. I, that's who I always feel worst for in those sort of the, like that's a whole off season of work. That's a whole year of opportunity that these guys were looking forward in front of them that they're not going to get. And for for Ben Burkirvan, he was a special teams mainstay and a guy who has always just made plays and always put himself in position to make plays. And Ursua, he was he was having maybe his best preseason game as a Seahawk. Yeah. Like he was he was really looking good. And it's the way it happened, too, right? Burkirvin, it was on a kickoff, the very first play of the game. Um, he gets nudged by a guy. Nothing too crazy. He gets nudged, kind of hyperextends his knee, and then tears everything up. John Rasu is just running like a seam route and decelerates, and he drops to the ground. It's almost like, man, if I'm going to go out, let me go out making a play. You know, and you feel bad for these guys. You know, John Rasu was a long shot to make this team. But I think if he put a game or two together, he might have been picked up somewhere else. Ben Burkerman was going to be on this team. He was going to contribute on special teams and be relied on. And, uh, you know, the, these guys, uh, their, their seasons are cut short. Uh, they're going to go into a dark place right now. It's all about, all right, bouncing back, being mentally tough, surrounding yourself with, um, with a team that's going to help you along your way. I just wish the best for these guys. Yeah, we, we all feel that way. Michael Bump is filling in for Paul Gallant today. Let's get back to the Mariners. 12 and 4 in extra innings games. What are the reasons they're that good? Because some of it some of it is 
there is when you're in a close game, breaks one way or the other can make a huge difference. But twelve and four, like that's there's enough time that this isn't entirely. What are the reasons that this team is is able to succeed like that? I'll start with the first one. Their bullpen's really good. Yeah, and and if there was if there was one thing that I would say to point to you, you said this before the show, bump. You said. When are we going to realize that they kind of know what they're doing? And and that's with regard to Paul Seawald specifically, mm-hmm. right? Like nobody, Paul Seawald started off the season in Tacoma. Like this was not an addition. Like it, it would be staff depth would be the kind of thing that if anybody even noticed his acquisition was. And he's come up and he's been one of their best relievers. He's been absolutely one of their best relievers. And, and he gets in an incredibly tough spot in the 10th where you start out with the runner on second. Altuve singles, you then intentionally walk a guy. So you've got the bases loaded with no outs, and you can't allow a run. You you can't allow a run at all. And what does Paul Sewell do? He proceeds to strike out the next three guys he mm. faces. And they Root Sports did a cool kind of mashup where it showed all the strikes. And they were all, like you saw, he's pitching up and in in the zone. Like he is yeah. just hammering up and in in the zone. It was really remarkable what he put together. What do the great teams do? They find the diamonds in the rough. That's what they do. You know, they're, they're the obvious picks, the obvious guys that you want to go after that you know are going to contribute. But, all right, when it gets tough and you have to rely on other dudes, who are these guys? And the Mariners have found a way to find these diamonds in the rough. The, uh, the Seahawks do the same things. And how are they able to be successful in extra innings? One, it's nice starting with a guy on second base. You can't ignore that, you know. That that does something to your mental like, okay, all right, let's let's get a double here and then we and we might be able to score. So I think that helps and then just being composed. You have to have composure in those situations. This is baseball. This isn't football where you can just run around like a wild man on defense and smack guys and and get everybody going. You got to have an approach at the plate that you believe in and that you you talked about and you know service and the Poto are sending the right message to this team. So I think that it's more than just the result of what's happening on the diamond. It comes down to philosophy and culture as well because there is an approach that these guys have to execute and it seems like when they get into these pressure cooker situations they they execute more than not. The other part, the other element, you're right about that. The execution in those tight spots best exemplified by what what Paul Sewell did yesterday, but Chris Flexen also been a huge find. He'll be on the mound tomorrow against the the Oakland A's. There is it patience at the plate. Their pickiness at the plate. Mm-hmm. This team strikes out a ton. Like there's no getting around that. And I'm not going to say that. Hey, that's some great attribute that they have. They they strike out a ton, but they make guys work for it. Like they do. And and you see uh, up and down the lineup, you have guys that have a very good understanding of the strike zone. Jake Fraley is one of the best examples of that. But you have guys, J.P. Crawford makes guys work for it too. Yes, this team strikes out a lot, but they see a lot of pitches. And I think that that works its way through opposing bullpens. It gets to the bullpen quicker, and mm-hmm. once you get into the bullpen, they'll wait them out. And that the success this team has in extra innings, I, I, I'm convinced, I don't know if it's the majority of it, but a part of it is that the patients, though they, they make other teams work for it. They, they make them work for it, and whether that tires them out or whether it runs through pitchers quicker, that, that is one of the things that, that I think is an attribute for this team in late, late in close games. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you got a pitcher up there throwing eight, nine pitches in one batter. 
it wears them down. Every pitcher has their pitch count. You know, when, when Marco won his complete game, but he had 115 was his pitch count, and he was at, what, like 102 or 103 going into the the final inning or whatnot. So, yeah, making these guys work. And then um, one of our, our Texas brought up a good point, man. Their fielding is on point. There's yeah. not too many errors that, that happen out yeah. there. I mean, these guys have great gloves. And and that helps as well. That gives confidence to the pitcher on the mound, right? He knows, like, if one gets away from me, I can count on these guys to make one or two really good plays, um, a, a game that's going to get us through an inning and help us stay in it. So that helps as well. Yeah, especially their infield defense. Their yep. infield defense has been just absolutely awesome. That's a very, a very good point. If you don't beat yourself, not beating yourself is the first step in this league. And this is a Mariners team that, that doesn't beat itself. I'm pumped to have Marco Gonzalez on the mound today, too. Yeah. Like he has been this last three starts. We spent the first half of the year wondering what's wrong with Marco. Is he healthy? Why has it looked this way? Well, these last three starts, he's looked really good. And if this is sort of that that time of year where you need focus and competitiveness, Marco's the perfect guy to have on the mound today as you open this little two game set in Oakland, where you've got the team that's directly in front of you in your division standings, and also a team you're trying to run down for the wild card. I like how it sets up, having Marco and Flexen go up against these guys. I like it. Marco, competitor. Uh, and, you know, he woke up this morning. He's he's ready to go. Uh, I mean, and these pitchers have these crazy tra- traditions, right? Don't talk to him. Don't text him. Don't do nothing to Marco. Let Marco get into his zone and really feel like he is the catalyst to this because he was supposed to be the ace coming into the season, mm-hmm. right? He started off rough, battled back through injury. Now he's starting to find his groove. He wants this moment. He wants to be on the mound in this situation. So, yeah, I'm excited, man. I can't wait to see what Marco does tonight. Yeah, it will be. you hear uh, the coverage right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. We asked you last segment who won the weekend. We gave you four different choices. There was a little bit of a controversy in the, in the voting. Uh, Maura Dooley posted, posted a poll. Uh, Ty France wasn't on there, and maybe he should have been. He had his fourth game-tying home run. We wanted a, a breadth of, of selections. Your, your choices were Paul Sewald, DJ Dallas, Eli Jones, who threw the no-hitter for Eastlake Little League uh, from up in Sammamish to stave off elimination, and then Elijah Molden, the Husky corner who is a third-round pick by the Tennessee Titans and had an absolutely awesome day. Uh, We had 315 votes. 60% of you voted for Paul Seawald. Sixty percent for Paul Seawald. Twenty-five point one percent for DJ Dallas, and then Eli Jones getting four point four percent of the vote, and Elijah Molden with ten point five percent of the uh, the vote. But Paul Seawald, your winner of the weekend, I think that's pretty fitting, man. If you'd asked me the odds that Seattle was going to get to the eleventh with the bases loaded and no outs in mm. the tenth against one of the best hitting teams. I mean, Toronto and, and Houston are the two best hitting teams in the American League. And Paul Seawald strikes. I would have said 2 3%. 5%? No. I wouldn't have even said it was a 5% chance they're getting out of that without giving up a run. All you need is a fly ball. That's all, that's all yeah. Houston needed was a fly ball. And instead, Paul Seawald ended up striking out three straight hitters. I was defeated. Danny, I thought it was a wrap. I'm like, it's over. I'm... I'm, I'm slouching in my seat you know my my demeanor's all jacked up and then seawald comes through clutch lets out a yell um it was fun it's stressful but it's good stress i like i like sports stress any kind of stress i I can do without but sports stress i can deal with it is danny gallant michael bumpus filling in for paul today it is time for us to go around the nfl 
It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. Today's an exceptional day. What's up, Mora? Hello, guys. Happy Monday. <laughs> Are any Mondays happy? Yeah. Is this Monday happy? Happy for Paul Seawald. No, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Mora finding the bright side of things. <laughs> All Mom's right, happy Monday for happy, 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 happy Monday for Paul Seawald <laughs> and happy Monday for Bumpus being with us. What do we got in the league? Uh, we have some some weird stuff unfolding in New England. Uh, this is from Michael Girardi of NFL Network. A statement from the Patriots regarding Cam Newton's absence at practice says, due to a misunderstanding about tests conducted away from the NFL facilities, apparently he had gotten approval to go do some medical treatment away out out of state. Um, and it says, as required by the NFL, NFL PA protocols, Cam will be subject to the five-day entry cadence process before returning to the facility. They say there was some kind of miscommunication where they didn't realize that was going to happen. Huh? That's weird. The speculation is that this probably means that Cam is unvaccinated, so we're now seeing how being unvaccinated might affect uh, players moving forward. Oh, uh, okay. I see why. If you're Cam, though, doesn't... This is terrible news for you. Yep. Like, if you're Cam, you're competing for a starting quarterback job, and you're not going to get to practice for five days? Yep. Oh. And the youngster's looking good. He looks like the quarterback that Bill Belichick really wants. You know, uh. the guy's going to stay in the pocket, go through his reads, take what the defense is giving him. Not good for Cam, good for Mac Jones. Yeah, that's tough. That's, that, 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 that's a rough one. Is Cam just broke at this point, do you think? Yeah, and I think he knows that it's coming down to the end of the road, you know, and and he's yeah. he's content with being a good teammate. He's always going to compete, but I think he understands, like, look, if I want to hang around this league for three, four more years and collect a paycheck, I at least got to be a good teammate. He looked better in the last game. I think things were swaying a little more his way, so this is bad timing. All right, next up, uh, this is from uh, – Zach Kiefer, the athletic Colts reporter, he was out of practice today where Carson Wentz is taking limited reps, and he said, even more convinced now than I was two hours ago that it'll be Carson Wentz under center in week one for the Colts. Setbacks can happen for sure, but he absolutely looked like a guy today who will be ready to go in three weeks. Let's go. Let's see. You can't If, if you're a team that's a Super Bowl contender, you can't be fearing Carson Wentz, even if you're starting on the road, right? Like, you got to look at, yeah, okay, he's going to be healthy and ready to go. See how he looks without a training camp. It's Carson Wentz. <laughs> you know, I I was one of the people who believed that Carson Wentz would have a ba- ba- excuse me, bounce back year with Frank Reich. It was a pro bowler under him. And he can still do that. But I yeah. think that the Hawks are up for the challenge. I think that Wentz has to convince himself that he's back. And week one is going to be tough for him regardless. No matter who he played, I think week one is going to be tough for him. So, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Let's get it. Let's go. All right. The NFL Top 100 revealed numbers 40 through 11 yesterday. Four more Seahawks were on the list, bringing their total to seven with the top 10 still yet to come. Uh, Jamal Adams came in at 31. He was number 27 last year. Bobby Wagner was number 25, um, where as he was 13 last year. DK moved up quite a few spots, coming in at 22 after being 81 last year, and then Russ falling from number two to number 12. So, 
Here's my issue. Josh Allen is in the top 10. We don't know where he ranks in the top 10. Is there anybody in the league that would choose Josh Allen over Russell Wilson for this upcoming season? Like, do you think that there's somebody out there that's like, I'd rather have Josh Allen? Or is this strictly that, hey, if we put a microscope on last year, Josh Allen had a better year than Russ did? I saw last year. I mean, he had, what, three less touchdowns, yeah, not as many picks, better completion rate, went to the championship game. Yeah, it's all off of base. That's all based off of last year. Now, Bobby and DK, I feel those are accurate. I'm, I'm good with that. Russ, I feel like it's top 10. Jamal needs. How, how's he 27 last year? And then he does something no DB has ever done, and he drops four spots to 31. That doesn't make sense to me. It's. Do you feel there's some negativity toward Jamal Adams? Like there, there so is. there's a there's a reputation, and this is Mora had heard this this morning. Greg Cosell, who is who is Howard's son, but he's he's done a lot of work with NFL films, and he's kind of fashioned himself as a as as somebody who goes and studies the film and tells you. His result was, yep, Jamal Adams is a great pass rusher, but you've got to blitz a certain style to make him successful as a pass rusher, and when you do that, your team gets opened up, that you get beat, that. In effect, his stats as a pass rusher mask the liability that using him as a pass rusher creates for a team. Oh, my gosh. I can't stand when people ask players who are great to do something else. Like, no, they're great. Let them be great at what they do. Are we going to ask Tom Brady to be a mobile quarterback? I think not. Are we going to ask uh, Lamar Jackson to be a pocket passer? I think not. Appreciate what they're good at. Don't don't find something to hate on. Like, okay, so what? They got to blitz them a certain way. So blitz them a certain way and have them break records. What is wrong with that? I don't understand it. It's a very good point. Is it is it sort of the, you know, I've always said that Shaq's free throws were like the liability that we needed to make it fair because if Shaq was a good free throw. <laughs> shoot, yeah. Like is, is it sort of the thought process is that, well, if he's that good at blitzing, it has to have a bad effect somewhere else. Like if he's that good at sacks, it must mean he's bad at coverage. Like, is it somebody trying to find the carbon offset for Jamal Adams' success? There's no perfect player. Ray Roberts said Barry Sanders, one of the greatest of all time, wasn't great catching the ball off the backfield. That's why he wasn't a leading receiver when it comes to running backs catching a rock. Let Barry run. Don't, don't make him catch it. All right, we'll squeeze uh, one more in here. Um, Seahawks GM John Schneider was on the Rich Eisen show last week and uh he told a little bit of the background story on them realizing that they could still get dk metcalf in the draft you know when he was still available we made that move with with the jets or the uh patriots excuse me to go get him and just i guess just to to see the you always want to have buy-in from from the coaching staff when you make a decision like that and so you know we had a bunch of stuff going on and and um Pete was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. he's like, Johnny, we're on the clock. We're on the clock again. I'm like, yeah, we just, we just traded with, with New England. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to take, we're going to take Metcalf right here. And he's like, Metcalf's going to be on our team. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, buddy, we're going to take Metcalf right here. And then the whole room just like exploded. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Can you imagine what that's like, like in the in, in, in a draft room where you're like, oh, 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 we can move up right now. All right. All right. We're going to go and do it because you've got to be able to turn on a dime. Like you've got to make that call in in a minute or two. Like that's that's something you don't have time to run through and get a consensus. Like that's that's John's call. He's he's got to be able to say, yep, we're doing this. It's I imagine the draft room just being just a complete domino effect. 
Like if they do this, then we have to do this. But if we do this, they're going to do that. Now we, now we, I mean, there's, there's so much communication going on in that draft room and, uh, it almost make, it makes me feel like I'd be a bit nervous in there. Like I'm nervous during my fantasy drafts. Like, all right, here we go. I got to make the right pick. And it's fantasy. Like imagine being in that, in that room and having to make these moves and then getting a guy like DK Metcalf and having it work out, right? That has to be so gratifying having it all work out for you. Um, yeah, that's fun insight right there. That is around the NFL. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We'll have a little bit more from Seattle's preseason game. The Seahawks lose 30-3, to but there's, the result isn't the most important thing to draw away from that. We'll tell you what is next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Seattle Seahawks got one touchdown in their two games, but that's more than the offensive snaps their first unit offense has played because they haven't played them at all. Pete Carroll said after Saturday's game that, hey, we've done something different this year. You'll probably see next next week that we'll go with our starters, so it'll look a little bit different. But that is, that is one of the things that, that we have to look at and take into account when we're trying to evaluate what's happening in this preseason. You can't ignore it. People are, I feel like some people are choosing to ignore the facts that the ones aren't in there. A bunch of guys who probably won't make the team are in there. You can't expect this offense or defense to execute as if you have your guys, all your guys on the field at one time. That's just not how this thing is going to work. Danny, you mentioned one year Detroit goes 4-0 in the preseason and they don't make the playoffs, right? They have a horrible season. They went you can't 0-16. use this. They didn't 0-16. 0-16. 4-0 in the, play, in the preseason. 0-16. That kills it right there. You cannot use this as a barometer how good this team's going to be. You have to look at the individuals. And there have been some good performances by individuals this preseason. Before Ben Burkirvin towards ACL, he was having a good preseason. Cody Barnes had a pretty good preseason. Rasheem Green, Daryl Taylor has flashed. Ursula was playing well before he got banged up in that one game. Freddie Swain caught a big third down. Aaron Fuller caught a big I mean, there, there are moments that a lot of these guys have had. So you don't, don't get caught up on the score. Yes, you want to win. You're used to winning here. But you can lose all four, all four of these, excuse me, all three of these games and still make the playoffs and do everything you want to do. What have you seen that you've liked? You you were out there at Lumen Field first time in 600 days that fans were were in the stands, and you could hear it. You could hear it. It's, it sounded like Seahawks football again. And probably that's some of the everybody's ready for it, yeah. but it's not quite Seahawks football because the starters aren't playing. What are some of the things you saw that you liked? I liked there was a drive in the second half, I want to say, in the third quarter where the offense was moving the ball down the field. And it was quick game. They lined up in a bunch of formations. They had guys hitting the flats in the middle of the field. They might not have completed every single pass, but I'm looking at what they're trying to accomplish, and I'm like, okay, I like that. Um, I liked, obviously, what DJ Dallas has brought to the kickoff game, excuse me, kick return game. I like that. I liked um, week one, Rasheem Green's getting after the quarterback. Daryl Taylor is forcing the QB to step up in the pocket and get some, some sacks. I like that. Those are the little things that you have to look at. Try to ignore the score. Um, it makes for tough analysis after the game. I, I get it when it when they lose thirty to three or twenty to seven, but you just highlight individuals, and that's what I've been trying to do. Um, that's what I think other people should do. Yes, you want to win, 
but these preseason games are just to put guys in situations and see how they perform. If we're not saying their name, they could be a good thing or a bad thing. There were times that this team had to make evaluation decisions based on the preseason. Like There, there have been different points. 2012 was one of those. You had a quarterback question. Russell Wilson was coming to the team. Matt Flynn was new to the team, and you still had Tavares Jackson. Like There, there were questions. In a lot of ways, the, the biggest question Seattle has left to figure out, Brock said this, is something you weren't going to answer in preseason in any way. Biggest question right now is Dwayne Brown, right? And he yeah. wasn't going to play in preseason at any point. So the, the, the uncertainties, and that can make it a little tough to compare like what Seattle doing versus what Denver's doing. Den- Denver's trying to find some things out about itself, namely who its starting quarterback is. Seattle doesn't have a lot of that uncertainty. The The starting spots that are up for grabs on this team are pretty minimal. Maybe center, maybe. Mm-hmm. But on defense, you're going to have a couple. Jordan Brooks has played. Daryl Taylor's played. That's because those guys are, are going to be new starters. But the guys that are established veterans, Puna Ford's not playing. Carlos Dunlap's not playing. You're not putting the guys out there. Benson Mayo is not playing because you don't need to learn anything about them. You know how those guys are going to fit. All right, so let's talk about the questions. What are the questions? On offense, who's going to back up Chris Carson? We're, we're trying to figure that out. You've seen Alex Collins. You've seen DJ Dallas. Um, on defense, who's going to be your starting corners? We've seen Witherspoon out there. DJ Reed probably will be out there if he weren't banged up. Um, who's going to be in your rotation of defensive line? You've mentioned uh, Ben Mayo is good to go. He's not in there. Carlos Dunlap's good to go, but we've seen Hyder. We've seen Rasheem Green. We've seen Daryl Taylor. We've seen LJ Collier. So it's not like they they aren't giving guys opportunities to establish themselves, but it's only at the spots where there are some question marks. Everywhere else, man, we don't need to see Lockett or DK. Freddie Swain, he's even got a few reps, but he's not out there a lot because he's. I feel like he's a lock at the number three receiver spot. Tight end spot, no way we're going to see Gerald Everett first one or two games because he's going to be a starter as well, or Uncle Will. So it's like... People just want – they want to see their starters, which is – I get it, right? You're eager for football. It's football season. You want to see these guys go, but you want to see them week one in, in Indianapolis. Yeah, that's the fan talking, right? Like, that's yeah. the fan in us. Like, I want to see these things. It's not the – it's not a strategic decision. It's like I want to see the new toy. I, I want I want to yeah. see how that, how that person fits into it. The one question you do have is corner, right? I don't think any of us know quite how the cornerback situation is going to – to shape up or shake out. You've got right now your starters are on one side, Akella Witherspoon, who's new to the team. On the other side, it's Trey Flowers, who's been here. DJ Reed's been a little bit banged up. He's considered sort of the entrenched starter there. And then you have a, a rookie in Trey Brown. Is there anything we can learn from how the corners have played so far? Yeah. Um, week one against the Raiders. I've all, I always look at Trey Flowers because he's a guy – who was on? He's on the bubble. He's going to make the team, but he's on the bubble in the sense of how much is he going to play. And I watched him against Dallas. He had a couple footballs caught on him. He was in great position. I just want to see him make a play because prior to that game, during practice, he was making plays. I wanted to see if he was going to make that transition. Um, at the other corner spot, Witherspoon. Coming in, you watch film. When he's healthy, he looks like a really good corner. He looks like the corner that the Seahawks – used to take now they take them big small short wide it doesn't matter they used to want that six two six three long arm type guy when they picked up witherspoon i watched the film i'm like okay this is the type of corner that they're used to getting now i want to see him playing a game now he gets what 
Jerry Judy, or was it Judy? Yeah, Judy caught a football on him. Tough play. I mean, Judy's one of the best route runners in the league. I'm trying to see if he's healthy and how he's going to perform. Does he have his swag back? Um, so th- those are the little things you have to look at. At the corner spot, Trey Brown. How's Trey Brown, Trey, uh, Trey Brown going to do? He's a rookie. Is the, is the game fast for him? But Brock brought up a good point, Danny. He says in the, at the quarterback spot, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this in all the other spots as well, they're playing against the same type of competition they were in college playing against because these are the twos, the threes, the young guys out there you know, trying to establish themselves. So you expect guys like Trey Flowers and Weatherspoon to make plays because of the competition that they're going up against. But this is the NFL, man. Even if there's 90 guys on the roster and 60 ain't, I mean, excuse me, 30 ain't going to make it, they can still play some ball. It is Danny and Gallant. Michael Bumpus filling in for Paul Gallant today. He'll be back tomorrow. Our training camp coverage is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We're going to be back to raise flags and, in my case, throw a flag. We have another example of why uh, seeking the higher ground is not always an advantage in hand-to-hand combat inside stadiums. That's next. From the pocket and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. All right, time for us to raise, throw, pick up flags, whatever you would like to do over the course of what we watched transpire over this weekend. I'm going to go ahead and start because I'm... We've had an ongoing discussion about the logistics of hand-to-hand combat when it occurs in a stadium setting. Um, Not saying that it's advisable. Commenting simply upon the reality of that when it occurs and the breakdown of what happened. The first thing is in Pittsburgh over the weekend, we had another example. I don't think you're winning fights on the regular if you're in the higher row. Like if you're gonna, people always say like seek the higher ground and that's an advantage. Not, not when it comes to brawling in the b- brawling in the bleachers. Yeah. Like being being up high, I I think is a detriment, and we saw yet another example of that. Because you can get that chin touched easily. That's what yeah. it is. That chin, man. You, you slip a punch and boom. That's it. All it takes is one. And the other thing is when you're when you're up above, you've kind of got to got to bend down or lean forward mm-hmm. to try and do any da- and that puts you vulnerable because then all the guy has to do is shift your weight a little bit and once and once you shift like you're kind of feeling like you're going down it's it's precarious it's just you would generally say like you want to be the the guy on up uphill but not there's something about the bleacher setting that no and this was this was another one uh this fight however was most notable for who started it mm. as a lady the lady and she open hand slapped a dude in his face and then that man responded not by trying to fight her but trying to fight the guy she was with and that is something I have seen happen before and it's something that I would say like <laughs> yeah that's I'm not saying anybody should fight and you absolutely should never fight back when to someone who nobody wants to or should ever hit a lady. But fighting the dude she's with because of what she did, if she hauled off and slapped you, like, I oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's part move. of the liability that goes around. Like, he caught a hot one on because, because of a fight she started. Yep, she started it. She slapped him. He thought about hitting her, too. And then he was like, I might kill this woman. And then he pulled back. 
I'm going to shift my, my energy to the right. You, sir, with the hat, step on up. You're the next contestant on Get Whooped in the Stands. <laughs> and they got after it. I, but we can't we can't forget the guy in the hat did get one in. He got him a little bit. It dazed him for a second. But then the other dude snapped into into action mode and, and slept him. Knocked him out. Like there was a he was he was he was zombie arms sitting down and did not wake back up until uh, his lady got knocked into him again. And that's a heck of a way to go out like a fight. You didn't start that. You got you got slumped. <laughs> Only seek we'll, higher ground if you have weapons. <laughs> if you have weapons, <laughs> higher ground. You're fighting. You, you want level. Yeah. So again, again, yeah. Don't don't be don't be don't be thinking that the higher ground is an advantage. Uh, we now have sons and four guy Pittsburgh fight, and what was the the, the other the other? There was one other example the Rams. of it happened. The Rams. Yeah, right? the Rams. Oh yeah, the big dude who won, who backhanded all four guys at once, which <laughs> was out of a cartoon and was impressive. But he ended up he ended up on the wrong end of that one. All right, bump. What do you got for flags? I'm going to raise a flag to Ben Burkirvin and John Ursua. Um, ben Burkirvin, I've been in your shoes trying to make the team for the second year and getting hurt. And my injury wasn't as severe as his, but um, that has to be tough on these young men. Then John Ursua, who wasn't really doing much the first week, second week, got a few targets, caught the rock a few times. A non-contact injury is always tough. I feel for these young men. Hopefully they recover and they get opportunities with the Seahawks or elsewhere. It is one of the truly, truly heartbreaking things that happens. You just, ah, uh, it's it's a rough reality of the sport of football is that there are, injuries play such a huge part, part and turn career. I mean, it's a setback, and hopefully both of those guys will bounce back. But, man, it's just, it's a, it's a hard road ahead of them. Ben Burkirk is one of my favorites too. Yeah. Like all that that dude is is the quintessence. That that's a guy who has just made a living by knowing w- which spot to be in, putting himself in the right place, and going hard. Yes, he hard. Then he jumped over the he jumped over the line week one and made a tackle. Dude, he was doing that on the goal line. Is that is that advisable technique? Like he basically just jumped as high as he could and then would get up there and try and wrestle the ball away from the dude. I doubt they coach that up, but they don't not coach that up. <laughs> like you, you do, and they're like, okay, I wouldn't advise that, but it worked. It worked. Because for a long time, that was – you would try the running back, like the old Marcus Allen. Like, he would dive into the end zone like that. Yeah. That stopped being, like, the go-to play on the goal line because once the running back is airborne, all it takes is somebody meeting him head-on, and it'll stop his momentum. So they've yep. started – but now it seems like the, the counterpunch to the quarterback sneak is just have a guy try to time the snap, jump up as high as he can, and like Ben Burkirvin, and then reach for the ball. Because yep. if you reach for the ball, then he's not going to be able to, to continue trying to push forward because he's going to worry about losing it. Yeah, I, I liked the Ben Burkirvin style. Maura, what do you got? Uh, I am going to raise a flag for a former Seattle Dragon. Um, I really enjoyed covering the XFL team here, and I know that so many of those guys are kind of in the same boat we were just talking about with Ursua and trying to trying to make an NFL roster. And uh, one of them, Godwin Igwebuke, who was one of my favorites, he played safety for the Dragons. Wyman pointed him out when he used to do some of his breakdowns. He liked his motor. Um, actually signed with the Lions this offseason, and apparently two weeks before camp, our guy Dan Campbell calls him and says, 
I think you've got a better shot at running back. So he hasn't played running back since high school. He's trying to make the Lions at running back, and he did. He scored a touchdown this weekend. Let's see. I want to see. Godwin Igwebuke. Contact. Shook it off and scored. A seven-yard touchdown completing the best drive of the night for the Lions, no doubt. So probably a long shot for him to switch positions and, and do that, but I'm rooting for him. I low-key like Dan Campbell. Like I, I low-key like I did not think I was gonna like the kneecap biter, but I low-key <laughs> like Dan Campbell. You can play for him? I, well, yeah, I, no, I couldn't because I don't have enough talent to make a varsity high school team, <laughs> let, let, let alone play in the NFL. But yeah, no, I think he makes. A, I could see, I could see him working in a pro locker room. Like Joe Judge, I don't see working in a pro locker room. Mm-hmm. Dan Campbell, I can totally see working, and that was a surprise to me because I thought he was kind of the Dan Cam- the Dan Campbell was the Joe Judge try hard like Joe tough guy type, and he, I don't, I don't think he's that dude at all. Coaches who show a little bit of crazy have a good chance in the locker room because you got to be a little bit of crazy to play football anyway. You're putting yourself in, in harm's way every single down. So he gonna, I can see how that is working. I think initially um, it was maybe a bit corny, but yeah, uh, he was he showed that he will put himself out there and just be himself. And I think that's what players respect. If you are yourself, whether it's calm, crazy, cool, collected, as long as it seems genuine, you'll have a chance in the locker room. All right. We're going to close with a, a good line from the 206 because my my assessment and, and desire to break down stands fights d- deserves a. I'm throwing a flag on you guys chatting up fights in the stands. They are becoming all too regular this year, and any attention paid to them will encourage more. I don't fully agree with that, but it's a valid criticism and I think a necessary counterbalance to uh, me coming up with the rules and regulations of don't, don't – don't don't be throwing punches if you're if you're a, a row up that the high ground is is a liability there. Uh, we don't certainly want any fights in the stands. I'm just saying if they happen, I'm going to let you know that my observations of, of what what they occur uh, analysis that you're not going to get anywhere else. It's our job to report what we see. <laughs> <laughs> it is Danny Gallant. Michael Bumpus, really, really great to have you here. Uh, Paul Gallant will be back tomorrow. I want to thank the professor, John Clayton, and Brock Heward for joining us today. Maura Dooley for making it a happy Monday, in spite of my objections to that term. That, that's how sunshiny she is. She can make even even a Monday with, with, with someone who is objecting to the adjective happy being attached to it. Pleasant. I give all the credit to Bump. No, and, I, I, I deflected to Maura and Danny. I don't want any of it. All right. And Michael Bump is going to take you through the next hour. That's coming up next.